You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. Well, hey, if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn it to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, page 952 in that, in that Black Pew Bible. If you don't have a copy of God's Word with you, we'd encourage you to grab it and open it up and we'll... Be able just to follow along with us as we spend some time uh, reading God's Word today. So we're kicking off a brand new series, as you can see from the PowerPoint slide. So we're going to be walking through the book of 1 Corinthians, I think until November. So we're going to be in this book for a while, so buckle up. It's going to be a bumpy ride. This is a book that we've been praying about for a long time, and we're excited to be able to, to dig in. Dig, dig into this book with you um, over these next, again, summer, spring, fall. Uh, we're going to take a few breaks kind of along the way. Um, we're going to take a break on Mother's Day, talk about, um, talk about moms. Probably works out good so that we're not in like 1 Corinthians 5 or 6, talking about sexual immorality with, on Mother's Day. Probably not the greatest thing. So we're going to spend some time talking about, talking about moms, Mother's Day. We're going to stop on Father's Day as well and, and take, a, take a week and talk, talk to fathers, uh, especially in our culture. It's, it's just good to be able to spend some time talking about um, God's role for both men and women, uh, mothers and fathers. So uh, that's kind of the game plan. But yeah, you're going to get to know 1 Corinthians pretty, pretty well. So we've entitled this, this whole series, uh, Messy, Beautiful Church. Um, I really appreciate that title because I think it encapsulates what the entire book is all about. Um, if you've ever read 1 Corinthians, you know one thing, that that church was an absolute wreck. As, as we get into all the different issues and things going on there, um, we're going to see that this was a church that had a lot of problems. Um, they can't agree on who should lead the church. They don't agree on how, they, how to address sin or if they should address sin at all. Um, they, they don't agree on how they, they should treat each other. Um, some of this just sounds like a normal day in a typical household, right? Man, how many times our kids, like, they, they don't agree on how to, how to get along or, or they don't agree on, on our punishment of sin or behavior. So this is just normal, everyday stuff. Um, but then, then they also are divided over how to understand things like marriage, how to understand how do we worship together in a corporate gathering on a Sunday morning. Um, they, they, don't, they don't understand how to handle cultural differences um, between people within the church and then how to live within a culture that is completely different outside of the church. So they're just spinning when it comes down to how do we handle all these problems that come up when sinful people come together and try to do life together. And so Paul addresses all of, those, all of, of those things. But yet within the mess of 1 Corinthians, Paul points out something extremely beautiful. Paul points to the fact of the power and truth of the gospel. And, and, and as we walk through the book, we see so many instances of, of, how, God point, of how Paul points back to the gospel message and how it applies in this situation and how the gospel is worked out within this problem. So Paul points us to the truth and power of the gospel. Paul points us to God's high calling and purpose of, of the church. You guys understand, we're going get, to get in, into this a little bit today, but you understand that 
God has called you here for a purpose, and we have a calling as a body of believers, and as Paul points that out over and over and over again. And Paul also points out the visible hope that the body of Christ can bring to a lost and unbelieving world. Friends, I truly believe that one of the greatest tools we have for evangelism is when lost people come within our midst and see how we worship, see how we treat each other, see how we serve each other. The, the gathered body of believers is probably the most powerful evangelistic tool that we have in our arsenal. And some of you know a bunch of different evangelism methods, and there's nothing wrong with those things, but there's something about inviting someone to church who does not know the Lord, and they come in and see, how does a church of three or 400 people operate? How, how do they talk to each other? How do they, how do they act toward each other? How, how, how do they serve each other and handle conflict? First Corinthians deals with all of that. And throughout 1 Corinthians, we're going to understand that while the church is messy, when we are willing to listen to and submit ourselves to God's word, the gathered body of saints is the most beautiful expression that God gives this world today. So hence the title, Messy, Beautiful Church. So before we get into our text today, there are just a few things that we need to understand and kind of unpack as we, as we get, into, get into this book. First, we need to understand what 1 Corinthians actually is. 1 Corinthians is an epistle. It's a, it's a genre found within the Bible. And an epistle is, is an occasional document written to a specific audience for a, for a specific purpose. You understand that there are different genres within the Bible. There, there's narrative. There, there's a telling of a story. Uh, there, there's prophecy, where it's looking forward to things to come. Mo most of Isaiah, which we just worked through, a lot of that was, was, was prophetic in nature. But an epistle is an occasional document, meaning that something happened to, draw, to drive someone else to write it. In this case, Paul had heard about the issues going on in Corinth. Uh, we'll see it next week. Paul heard from various sources um, the things that were going on within, within the church there in Corinth. And so that drove Paul to write a letter to them. Um, they didn't have Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, Twitter, none of this stuff. Letter was how they got a message across. So while Paul was actually in Ephesus, Paul writes this letter to Corinth to address the things that, that are going on. And so you, you can think, well, this isn't written to us. It was written to a church 2,000 years ago. But I believe that God and his wisdom and his goodness made 1 Corinthians, this letter, part of our Bibles so that you and I could learn from and benefit from this book. And in just a moment, I'm going to show you why. why. Why this letter is so important for us today. So 1 Corinthians is an epistle. It's a letter written to a specific church who were filled with specific people dealing with, dealing with issues and problems within the church. Let me tell you a little bit about Corinth as a whole, the city. And listen, I'm not going to do the whole map route. We're not doing all of that. I'm going to, I, I can, we can kind of describe uh, Corinth in three words. The first word is that it was pluralistic. Pluralistic. Say that ten times fast. Okay. Some of you can. Good for you. You guys are champions. I can't. All right, so Corinth was a diverse city that attracted people from 
all different backgrounds, all different faith backgrounds, all different belief systems about God. And so they all came into the city. And so, and so what that meant was that there were all sorts of faith communities there for, for anyone to, to really choose from. It's like you're going up to it's like a buffet. It's like a Chinese buffet. There's so much there. Uh, people, whatever they were looking for from a religious standpoint, they could find. Um, they, could find they could find people that were worshiping idols. They could find the church at Corinth. They could find other, other uh, viewpoints about God as well. Everything was there. And basically, the, the mindset of the church at Corinth was basically this. It's like, you can worship whoever and whatever you want as long as you don't hurt anyone. Kind of sounds familiar? Maybe just a little bit? All right, not only were they pluralistic, but they were pagan. Corinth was an extremely pagan city, filled with an overwhelming amount of idolatry and, and people who were, who were being immoral. Throughout the city, you could find places to fulfill any desire you wanted, often in the name of worship. You could, you could go to any place of worship and fulfill any, any desire that you had in, in, in mind, and that was okay. Not only did Corinth tolerate evil, they celebrated it. They said, we love being a place where we are open and, uh, and, uh, and accepting to whatever anyone wants to do. It is the equivalent of the Las Vegas or New York City of, of their time. But not only were they pagan, but lastly, they were prosperous. Corinth was probably the most prosperous city in all of Greece. So its strong economy allowed its citizens to prosper through hard work and social connections. See, Corinth was the place where people went to fulfill their dreams and to make a better life for their families. So the strong economy and opportunity bred this very individual, individualistic mindset where all people worried about was, was them, was their family, and, and what was best for their loved ones. And what happened was people began taking that kind of thinking and bleeding it into the church and how we run things and how we, and how we, um, how we operate as a body of, of, of saints here. So listen, it doesn't take much to begin connecting, connecting the dots between what was going on in, in Corinth and the state of our church today. It doesn't. It's not hard work to do. If there was ever a letter written to the American church, I believe 1 Corinthians would be it. Hence, we're going to spend a lot of time in it over, over the next, again, six, seven months. So this morning, I just want to open up the introduction, verses 1 through 9. And as Paul opens up this letter, he actually doesn't address uh, any behavior in, in the church, but actually he reminds them to whom the church belongs. See, a lot of people, I do it, when people mention Grace Bible Church, my response is, that's, that's my church. And not just because I'm a pastor here, but even before I came on staff, this was my church. This is where I attend. This is my spiritual home. The, these are my people. Um, th this is what I do on a Sunday. And it's so easy just to continue to operate and say, this is my church. For some of you, this is my pew. And if you guys get in my pew, 
know what's up. Better get stepping. We use that word my so, so often. And listen, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad this is your church. Like I, we are stoked to have you part, uh, part of our church family. But Paul, as he begins this letter, reminds the people that this church doesn't belong to us. It's easy for us to believe that church was designed and exists for my comforts, for my preferences, and to push my agenda. Church is here for me. Church was meant for us. Before Paul gets into all the issues, he lays the foundation. That actually will carry us through the entire book. This isn't just intro work where it's just he's just saying a few things just to get going, and everything really starts in verse 10. Verses 1 through 9 remind us of two very important truths. That one is that the church is designed by God. And secondly, the church is dependent upon God. Friends, it is his church, not ours. So let's pray, and then we're going to dig into these nine verses. God, I thank you for this day. God, I thank you, Lord, for the gathering of believers. God, and with all of our baggage, and with all of our issues, and with, with all of our conflicts and stubbornness, and God, willing to put ourselves in front of your kingdom, God, but you've gathered us here. And God, I thank you for it. God, we surely are a beautiful, beautiful mess. So God, as we look into these nine verses today, God, I pray that you would help us see, Lord, that the church belongs to, to you, God, and is led by your son, Jesus. It's not about myself or Mike or Dan or our elders or, or God, anyone else. God, you are the chief shepherd. And God, we need to give you honor accordingly. And many of, of the issues within our church would be solved we understood that it doesn't belong to us. The church belongs to you, God. So, Lord, guard my mouth. Lord, may, may I say, God, what the text says, God, and nothing more and nothing less. And I pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right. I want to walk through, again, these two points with you today. The first point simply is this, that the church is designed by God. Look with me in the, for the, in the first three verses here. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 says, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints together with all those who are in every place, call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul opens this letter by introducing himself really to who he is and reminding them that he is an apostle, the apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. So an apostle was someone commissioned by Jesus to lead the church and oversee the spread of the gospel. 
See, Paul isn't trying here to brag or to boast or to say, listen, like, you need to listen to me or anything else, but he's just simply reminding them of his authority and his ability to correct and teach the church. Paul wasn't just some guy. Paul was appointed by God to write letters just like this. So in the same way he does most of his other epistles, he introduced himself. himself. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, called by the will of God. God has placed me here. God helped me plant this church. And God has given me the authority to then speak truth back into it later on. But I really want to zero in on verse 2 and see how Paul describes the Corinthian church. He says, begins to the church of God that is in Corinth. And this is going to sound really nerdy. I'm just going to put it out there. This is the only time Paul addresses a church in this way. The only time. In Ephesians, he simply says, to the saints that are in Ephesus. In Colossians, he says, to the saints who are in Colossae. And maybe I'm just nitpicking here, but I think there's a reason why, why, why Paul said, said it this way, to the church of God that is in Corinth. For all you grammar people out there, how is, how is church modified? Church of God in Corinth. So there's a possessive there. It says, he reminds them from the very beginning without saying, the church isn't yours. He just says, this is God's church who, who are also located in the city of Corinth. See, the first thing Paul does, even in this little introduction, is remind, is remind the people that this isn't your church. You do not possess it. See, the church is God's possession. He holds the patent to the church. Think about it. God created it. It was God's idea. Romans 11, Ephesians chapter 3. The portions that we just walked through in Isaiah, which was written hundreds of years before Jesus actually came, and hundreds of years before Acts chapter 2, where the local church finally, finally began, God was already planning in his head that he was going to bring Gentiles, non-Jews, into the family of God. Romans 11 and Ephesians chapter 3 and 4 talk about it as a mystery, that this was something that God had planned out but not yet explained until this very moment. The church was God's idea, not ours. And not only was the church God's idea, but, but the church was created and bought by the precious blood of God's son, God, God's son, Jesus. We didn't, no one just came up one day and said, you know, we should have a church. And we should, we should bring all these different people together. And we should, we should preach the gospel. This was all God's idea, bought by the blood of his son Jesus. And it's God's spirit that seals every believer into the church at the moment of faith. Paul is saying, listen, Corinth, you think you're so good. You think you bring so much to the table. Let me remind you whose church this actually is from the very beginning. I love Matthew chapter 16, uh, verse, verse 18. This is Jesus talking about, but before he, before he's crucified, he says, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. See, I think Jesus is jealous here. 
I think too often we believe that we can, we can take ownership and possession of, of our own church. This is our church. And Jesus says, no, no, no. You need, you need to remember something. This is my church. But not only does, is the church God's possession, but because God created it, God gets to call the shots on how it is actually designed and how, and how we fit into that picture. Later on in verse 2, it says, To those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, along with everyone else who calls upon the name of the Lord in all other places. So he, he reminds them of two things. First, he, he reminds them, Corinth, you are not the only one on this religious wheel. It's not all about you. There are believers all over the world that have done the same thing that you have, that have heard the gospel of Jesus, that have called upon the name of the Lord, who have been saved, who are, who are living out the call of the gospel. But you are not, and you are part of that, but you're not the only part of that. Man, how often do we think that all we care about is what happens here within our church? And we forget that there are, there are, there are gospel-preaching churches all throughout this valley that we can cheer on, that we, that, we can, that, we can, that we can encourage, that we can support. I'm not saying a blanket statement, don't support everyone, but man, where the gospel is being preached, we can cheer and cooperate and help them out in the, in the, in the mission of spreading the good news of Jesus. But he says, I want you to recognize something. You have been sanctified. The word sanctified, sometimes we think of it as this ongoing process of being transformed into the, the, the likeness of Christ. And that's true. That is not the tense of the word here. Sanctified here means set apart in a one, once-for-all act of God. That the moment that you and I accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are set apart. God takes us from the kingdom and family of darkness and places us in the kingdom of light, into his family. We become one of his children. He sets us apart. And we are never the same. At home, we have, these, we have this china cabinet. And, and we, we have the, these dishes that literally come out like twice a year. Like Thanksgiving, Christmas, and I think for a small group, Last week for Easter, whatever. That was kind of it. We never bring, bring these things out. But the fact is, we bring them out for special occasions, used for a specific purpose. And so he wants the Corinthians to know that, listen, you are part of God's family, and then God has a special purpose for you. And that special purpose is found right in that same verse, called to be saints. See, Paul reminds them that they have that God has given them a new identity and a new purpose. They are set apart for a specific use, but then, but then also we're called to do something. It says we're called to be saints. Saints is a term in, in the New Testament for those God has forgiven their sins and, and, and has accepted into his family. So Paul is calling out us to live out what we all, who we already are. Our sole purpose as a church it's to point people toward Jesus. Our sole mission. I know, guys, a lot of times we think, well, once we get saved and once we, um, once we have a family and all these things, God, what, 
What do you want me to do? We're very goal and mission minded. This is it. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous lights. Church, that is our job. That is our mission. Our mission is not to make a name for ourselves. Our mission is not to create a brand. Our mission is not to, is not to make sure that we have a, great, a good podcast and people are watching us online. Our mission is to point people towards Jesus Christ. To proclaim the excellencies of what God has done for us. Not what we can bring to the table. Church, we are designed by God. This organism, this group of people has been designed by the creator of the universe to be the vehicle that the, um, that the unbelieving world sees what God is like. And for allow people to come in and experience the love of God, to hear, to hear God's word preached. And it gives us a mission to accomplish. And I don't know, if that doesn't excite you, you need to check yourself. Like, if you can't get excited about the fact that my, that my main job is to point people toward Jesus, there's something wrong. Maybe, maybe other things have gotten in the way. Maybe you have... Maybe your vision is clouded by other things or other things that you are trying to work for and accomplish, but recognize this is our goal, to point people to the excellencies of Christ who called you out of darkness into his marvelous lights. So we are a new people. We are sanctified. We are set apart. We are called for a new, uh, for a new purpose. And in verses 4 through 9, Paul gives another reason why the church is his and not ours. Let's read. Uh, verses 4 through 9 together. It says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as a testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless, in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And Paul normally is what he does. He prays. He thanks God for something that is going on in the life of the church. But notice here, Paul's focus isn't upon what they have done. It's what God has done for them. And the second point simply is this, the church is dependent on God. Raising kids, especially little ones, they, they all go through stages, right? They go through stages where sometimes they need mom and dad for everything. They need mom and dad to put their clothes on. They need mom and dad to change their diapers. They need to do whatever it is. But there gets to a certain point where they don't want the help anymore. My, my youngest is at the point where he's getting himself out of his car seat, 
or booster seat, whatever it's called now. And like he loves doing it by himself. Actually, I tried yesterday to try to get him. He's like, no, 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 I got this. I'm good. I can do this, Dad. I still, I still check because like, I don't want to be one of those dads who are like, you know, he's not buckled in or whatever. But so often we, we do that as a church. We get to the point like, God, people are coming. God, we have a, a praise and worship team. God, we have classes going on. God, our small groups are, are doing well. God, we, we seem to be opening, opening up, up God's word okay and teaching and communicating it well. And sooner or later, we get to the point where we feel, I don't need God anymore. God, we got this. God, why don't you go somewhere else and help people who don't have it all together? And Paul reminds them, church, you have nothing without, without what God has already given you. And he thanks God for two things. First, he wants them to recognize that, listen, our gifts come from God. And part of the, part of the, one of the big themes within the book of 1 Corinthians is the idea of spiritual gifts. And believe me, we will, we will get to that. And I hope Pastor Mike handles all of it. <laughs> I think you are, right? Are you good? Not anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> Yes, it's a big topic. Everyone's like, oh, you're going to do 1 Corinthians. You're going to talk about spiritual gifts. Let's go. But Paul says this about gifts. I thank, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. And he says, listen, I want you to, to remember where those spiritual gifts came from. The, the gifts of teaching, the gifts of wisdom, the gifts of speech that, that, that he mentions here. But he's like, I want you to understand, you didn't bring those to the table. I don't have time today to get into the background of spiritual gifts, but let me just explain it this way. That the book of Ephesians and other, and other places in Scripture says that at the moment of belief, God, God gives each person some kind of spiritual gift. Some, uh, some, some sort of talent or ability, a gift, or, or a way that their heart is kind of wired so that they can build up and edify the church and be a blessing to others. Not to build up your own, your own brand or to gain a crowd by yourself, but simply to help out the church. But this is something God has freely bestowed on the church out of his goodness toward us. We don't choose the gifts. God does. And it isn't upon us to compare ourselves to others, which is going to come up in Chapters 12, 13, and 14. Because friends, we need to recognize that every part of Christianity is about what we've received from God, not what we bring to Him. Every part, our salvation, our, our spiritual gifts, all of these things, this is what God has done for His church, not that we bring to His table. And man, I look around our church and we have some talented, gifted people who I believe are doing a fantastic job of making an impact for the kingdom of God. God has given us solid teachers and leaders, people that I learn from often. He's given us people who are gifted at evangelism, who share their faith on a weekly basis, and who I love talking to because I'm encouraged to go out and share my faith. But 
We have others who serve behind the scenes that you have no idea about. Sometimes I have no idea about. You hear things afterwards, like, man, this person did this and this and this. We have no idea, but they're a servant heart. They're great at mercy. They're great at compassion. God has gifted our church in some amazing ways. But we must never forget that this isn't our doing. It's not us. It's what it's the faithfulness of God in the life of our church. So let me just bring out two application points here. One, let us guard against pride and thinking that this is, this is what we've done. Paul is going to say later on in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, he says, what do you have that you did not receive? All of this, everything that's going on within the church, all the good things that are going on right now, this is God's blessing upon his body here at Grace Bible. It's not about us. It's not about our leadership. It's not about anything else. It is because God has chosen now to give and bless in certain ways. But secondly, man, I struggle with this one a lot. When, when was the last time you simply said thank you for how God has wired you and the giftedness that God has given you? Man, it took me a long time to be able to say, God, just thank you. Instead of saying, God, I want to be like that guy. Or I want, to, I want to speak this way. I want to be gifted in this area. Or I want to do this or do that. Or God, why haven't you made me some other way? Simply stopping and saying, God, thank you for how you've made me. And not in a prideful way, because you're thanking God. You're being dependent upon him but recognizing that God has worked in your life and God has given you gifts and getting plugged into a church and, and using those things. God says, I've given you things, now use them within the body, of, uh, the body of the church. So let's not be prideful. It didn't come from you. But let's also be thankful. Because it's not about you. It's about what God has decided to work within our church today. The last two verses, Paul reminds us of one other way that we depend upon him. And he says that our hope rests in God. In verse 8 and 9, it says, Who will sustain you to the end? Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus, God is faithful, by whom you were called into that fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. These verses, for me, some of the most powerful verses within the opening introduction here. So remember, the church at Corinth is falling apart at the seams. If you've never read the book, read it this week. They are sexually immoral. They are divisive. They are they're apathetic toward the things of God. They are prideful. Uh, the list goes on and on and on. But yet Paul, in the beginning of his letter, says, let me remind you about one thing. Your salvation isn't based upon what you do after the fact of you being saved. Your salvation is based upon the power and the, promise, and the promises of God. Paul knows what's going on at the church. That's why he drove him to write the letter. 
Paul already knows the things that are going on, yet Paul wants them to know from the very beginning, I'm not doubting your salvation. He, he actually says, I want to I assure you that your salvation isn't on you. This isn't part of the equation here. Yes, there's some problems. Yes, there's some things that need to be ironed out. Yes, there are ways that you need to submit to the word of God. But he says, but God, out of his goodness and mercy and faithfulness and love to you, promises that at the end of your life, when you stand before the Lord, God's not going to see your sin. God's going to see the righteousness of his son that has been given, given to your account. God's going to see his son Jesus instead of all of our shortcomings. So friend, I want you to know that even though you've messed up, and even though you will continue to mess up, and even though I have messed up, and will continue to do so, we are held by the power and promise of a God who loves you and is faithful to keep his word. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29 says that whom God calls to faith, they're justified. So that they are set apart at that moment, become part of God's family. And who those are justified, they will be glorified in heaven someday. There is no final exam. There is, there is nothing where it's like, yo, you're kind of in, in, in that class, but finals are coming in. You're really going to make sure, we're, we're, we're really going to see at that moment if you are really a believer or not. God doesn't say that. He says, your faith has made you whole. You are one of my children. Now, Paul doesn't give them license to sin. He doesn't stop there and say, listen, you're good, you're saved, do whatever you want. No, the rest of the whole book is full of, now you need to be obedient to the Lord, but not because of your salvation, because you have a high calling as a church to live out the gospel each and every day. But he says, I want you to rest in the fact that God is faithful, that his promises are true. And he will sustain you until the day, until the day we, see, we see the Lord face to face. So friends, church was never meant to be about us. All of us have the tendency to think that I come to church for my good, for my comfort, so that things can be done my way. And that's just not true. God designed the church. He gets to call the shots. And his word is full of, is full of ways for us to lead and live as a body of believers. And it's our job to know what this book says and to be able to submit ourselves to it. Even if culture says it's old, and it doesn't work anymore, and it's harmful, we trust this book. The church is also dependent upon God. We rely on his power. We know that any good thing that happens within our church is not our doing, it's God's. We pray. We obey, we obey this book. And we leave the results up to God. 
as I call the praise team up, let me just remind you of two things. Kind of a vision for our church moving forward. Is that one is that we, we seek God's glory, not our own. We want to be a church that when people come in, that they say, God is here. We don't want them to say, there's great preaching, there's great music, none of that stuff. We want them to come and experience the presence of God. So we seek God's glory. We proclaim God's message of the gospel. Even when culture says it is too, in, it's too exclusive. Even when culture says this isn't true anymore. We, can, we are committed to preaching the good news of Jesus. And we live for God's kingdom. Bringing the hope of Jesus to the brokenness of our world. So church, in the midst of our mess, that would be a beautiful thing. Let's stand, let me pray for you, and then we'll sing one more song. Heavenly Father, God, thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you, God, for, for this text, God. For the reminder, Lord, that church is not, uh, it's not about us. God, it's about you. God, you created it. Your son Jesus is at the head of it even now. And we submit, God, to his leading and where you would have us go, Lord. So, God, even now, if there are spirits of divisiveness, God, may we just understand that your kingdom is far more important than our feelings. God, that your agenda is far greater than anything that we can ever think. God, and that the hope of the gospel, Father, God, is the cure for this world. Help us to be a church who puts you first and worships you in every aspect of our lives. I pray all these things over, over our people. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.